This is the Critical Conversations podcast, a KPOV special project developed to feature unique perspectives and the courage it takes to go there, challenge mundane thought, and question the norm. Our guests this morning are Susan Hess and Chuck Thompson. Susan is the publisher and executive director of Columbia Insight, a news website reporting on environmental issues of the Columbia River Basin. For several years, she hosted an interview program on Radio Tierra KZAS, a community radio station in Hood River. Chuck Thompson is the editor of Columbia Insight, the author of five books. He previously spent seven years as an editorial director and executive producer at CNN.com. Welcome to the Wednesday Point, Susan Hess and Chuck Thompson. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks. So nice to see you this morning. I know our listeners can't see you, but I find it so much fun to be able to see everyone via Zoom. So first off, Susan, could you tell us a little bit about the uh, publication, Columbia Insight, why you started it, and what the purpose is, what kinds of things you focus on? Sure. Um, I guess I started around, you know, about the time, I don't know, say the 2008, 2009, when things got so tough everywhere. At that stage, you know, newspapers were already struggling from the loss of all the advertising that had gone to digital, um, whatever, sites, publications, wherever. And um, and the newspaper just started crashing, you know, across the country. I think that's now we've lost 25% of the nation's newspapers at this stage. And in many places, you know, creating news deserts where there simply is no information. And so caring very much about the environment and caring very much about this, you know, fabulous place where we all get to live. Um, I just, I just thought people are going to lose that understanding about what's happening with the environment, and especially with the population projected to boom and climate change roaring. It just seems like not a time to back away from talking about how those two intersect and what that means and what we can do, uh, just that people needed to be well-informed. So I think I started this about six years ago, seven years ago. And then in 2018, we became a nonprofit and uh, joining in other 360 other uh, nonprofit news organizations. And so we focus on the Columbia River Basin, which as you know, the Deschutes is a principal part of the Columbia River Basin and stretching from the Pacific Ocean up to the Canadian border into the Idaho border. So, and we focus strictly on environmental issues. And so maybe I'll turn that over to Chuck. I guess the one thing that I'd add to that is that I think a lot of people are unaware of this geographic entity known as the Columbia River Basin. You know, everybody knows the, I guess, the gorge and the Columbia River. In fact, that that river and the basin, which includes the Snake River as well, and as uh, Susan said, the Chutes and many other rivers flowing into the Columbia, all make up this this ecosystem that, you know, if you if you picture it on a map, probably most people can't conjure that image. But it's a it's an incredibly important image. It's, you know, the sustains everybody's life in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it takes in about half each of Oregon and Washington, east of the Cascades, pretty much all of Idaho, a good chunk of uh, southeastern British Columbia, where the Columbia River originates, the headwaters. And then, um, it, although literally, we are connected through a water system to 
to Flathead Lake in Montana. If, you know, people go out there in Glacier National Park and all that, literally the, the water that's running around um, people out in Bend and all the way in all these places I mentioned, it's all feeding into that Snake Columbia system. And, and all of us depend on it for our livelihoods and our health, our recreation, commerce, everything. Everything, you know, that thing sustains us. And so I think Susan's idea in starting the site was just to make sure that people are, are aware of that and the changes that are happening, not even necessarily advocating for a change this way, that way, or the other way, but just to know what changes are on the table, who's proposing what, how is this going to affect our local communities, how is this going to take decisions away from local decision makers. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about um, water allocation in, in our area, and that's a that's really at the root of it. Who's going to decide what to do with this increasingly scarce commodity? Uh, you know, I did notice in reading some of the articles how even-handed they were. It didn't seem as if you were taking a point of view or, you know, trying to tell one story, a uh, person's uh, story over the other. But it seemed that you were very even-handed in just explaining what the situation was. Uh, and and the, the collaboration that I looked at was the series Tapped Out power and water justice in the rural west and i just thought maybe we could focus on those today and talk about that first story that was published in columbia insight and it was written by don stover it was published last may and was entitled cheese in the desert why mega dairies are piping water into oregon's shrub step so could one of you i'm not sure which but would one of you describe that article to our listeners I guess I'll go first. Uh, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Chuck started talking. I was just going to say, Chuck is, is editing those articles and enjoyed that. That's, I will turn that to him. Since we're on Zoom, Susan, we can come up with a, maybe some hand signals. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, well, first of all, you mentioned Don Stover, who's a really important journalist in our part of the country. She's also an editor for the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. She is incredibly well-versed in anything she writes about and is one of the most diligent reporters I've ever worked with. And the thrust of the story, I mean, to simplify it is that water is becoming an increasingly scarce resource everywhere in the state, in Oregon, around the Columbia river basin. And there's been this phenomenon over the last 20 or 30 years of a number of mega dairies, which I think don't quote me on this, but I think that's over 25 head of cattle, 2,500 head of cattle, um, per farm or per unit, however they um, describe that. But there's been a number of dairies that have moved into this area of the lower Umatilla Basin up on the, you know, on the Columbia River. And this is an area where I, I think all, the, at least most of the state's uh, critical, what, what, what the state of Oregon calls a critical groundwater restricted area, and so classified due to water supply problems. Um, there's also these areas called classified groundwater restricted areas that are just a little bit different bureaucratic speak. But, you know, there, there are now, you know, something like 10 of these massive dairies operating in the lower Umatilla Basin. Uh, at least, you know, some of these things take um, 100, you know, they, they take more gallons of water per day to operate than the city of Bend does in an area that gets uh, on average nine or 10 inches of rainfall a year. And so you wonder, what is it? Why are all these, why are we allowing these massive commercial entities to move into an, uh, an essentially a desert and pumping well, that was, water? 
That was my question. Why are they drawn to that area? What's the, I don't get it. Well, there is something counterintuitive about it. You think, why would you move something that requires an incredibly large amount of water into an area that gets almost no water? But the thing about that area is that it's, it's flat and you can, you can irrigate and run water across it very easily. Um, and they're also in Oregon, as in most Western states, there are virtually no, but, but particularly in Oregon, there's a loophole in, in groundwater issues where you are allowed, there are no restrictions on the amount of water you can pump out of aquifers to water your animals. If you have livestock and they need water, there are no restrictions on the amount of water you are allowed to give them, assuming you have the, the, the water. Right. Yeah, I'm, I think um, Louise wants to maybe chime in. Maybe I'm wrong or there's a, she's going to dispute that. But No, no, not yeah. at all. I just wanted to bring up the fact that even though we think Tillamook cheese is made on the coast, Tillamook is actually one of those mega dairies. Yeah, yeah, they're the cheesemaker that's out there that's relying on those dairies for milk and, um, you know, which, um, do you know what the official beverage of the state of Oregon is? It's milk. I it's looked milk. that up. <laughs> it's not beer? Uh, there's, there's an outfit called Water Watch, which is based in Portland. Their executive director, John DeVoe, talked to me about water regulation in, in the state of Oregon and other Western states. And he essentially said, we're, we're passing, the state is rubber stamping applications for water rights without really knowing what's underground. They're just saying, go ahead and drain that re- that aquifer, which is what's happening. And it's sort of like giving somebody access to a bank account without uh, not even really knowing how much money's in the bank account and just saying, just keep making deposit, just take withdrawals. At some point it'll be gone, but don't worry about it. And that's kind of, that's the analogy for what's happening with a lot of these mega dairies and a lot of other con- concerns around the state. What is wasn't a bill introduced last year in the Oregon Senate proposing a limit uh, to the exemption of livestock to five thousand gallons a day? What happened to that? Last I heard, it was stalled, but I don't know. So somebody might have. Now that was months ago. I remember seeing an, an article that that had been stalled in a committee or somewhere, but I don't know exactly. Um, I think Susan might also be able to talk about just that that tapped out series in general and then some of these issues that we're talking about, because she's really the one that got the ball rolling on this for us. I, I think one of the things that, you, you know, we focused on within Columbia Inside all along has just been water because it is just critical, especially in this area. But I wanted to add on to Chuck's point about as we're talking about trees in the desert. You know, that's one of the issues that's going on there. But there's also an Amazon server there in the Boardman area where we were talking about the Tillamook Cheese Factory, the same place in Houston Water. And, you know, you see that same thing in Google's in the Dalles, and then we've got, and just right in Prineville, right side of Prineville, we've got Apple and you've got um, Facebook with, you know, giant servers there. And, you know, I, I know they all talk a lot about, you know, using water efficiently and, you know, I'm sure they do, you know, try to really use as much as possible, but it still takes an awful lot of water and, um you know, I think that's just where we're trying to figure out how how do we work all this? What do we think about it? And that's what we're trying to explore with some of these articles. Well, as well, are those ones in Primeville and those special enterprise zones as up in Boardman, which are like, tax free for the most part, right? That's the other part of that. Huge yeah. out, outside, you know, out, out of region uh, entities coming in to use all these resources, doing, doing so tax free and, and paying you know virtually nothing for the privilege of sucking all that water out. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, 
Okay, I'm not going to go there. Uh, how about the second <laughs> article? Let's talk about the second article. It was uh, in the Tapped Out series, written by Eli Frankovich and published last December in Columbia Insight. And it was called As West Withers, Corporations Consolidate Land and Water Rights. So what are these corporations doing uh, with the water rights in the West? Susan. Well, I think that that's just they're buying farmland. I think that you saw in there, I mean, church groups, teachers unions, um, Bill Gates, you know, Microsoft buying um, huge farmlands. But the the issue is, you know, then it becomes... um, the water rights go with it as, as the West does. You know, you don't own the water, but you have the rights to the water. And so I think that the focus of that article, and I will let defer most of this to Chuck, but is this consolidation, you're putting more and more power over water in the hands of very few people as these things come up. Whether, you know, that's a, we've tipped that point where that's a huge concern yet, but it's a trend that, you know, bears watching, I guess I would say. Chuck? You mentioned Eli Frankovich. He's up in uh, Spokane area, and I just wanted to mention him. He's another great journalist in our region. And again, one thing Columbia Insight tries to do is get writers and and very knowledgeable people from all around our region to to talk about these things. Um, In in regard to that story kind of dovetailed with the cheese in the desert story because it started out with, you know, a bidding war for this former dairy farm that was on the market. Uh, that it, essentially the Church of the Latter-day Saints and Bill Gates is one, what is called 100C or 100L. He's got a, an outfit that buys up a lot of land around the country. And the Latter-day Saints outbid him. Latter-day Saints are the largest uh, holder of agricultural land in the in the west of the Rockies. I don't know if you know that, the Mormon Church. Wow. No, yeah. I had no idea. Amazing. Yeah, they are. Um, <clears throat> and as Susan said, those those with wa- with land comes your water rights. And so it's just about this kind of growing trend of people with really, you know, Wall Street investors have looked at our region because of that Columbia Snake River watershed. There is still a lot of water up here and it runs pretty fast and hard and powerful. And that has attracted a lot of attention from New York and uh, European and Asian investors who are all coming to our region to get a hold of those water rights. And that's essentially what that was. They're buying the land. Now you can't own water. I still don't quite get, this is a philosophical weird, right? You don't own that water, but you can sell it and you can bank it and you can trade it and you can do whatever you want with it, but you don't own it, which is kind of an odd concept to me. Nevertheless, um, that's kind of what's happening. There's an outfit called the Crown Columbia Water Resources Group that put in with Washington State DNR a couple of years ago, maybe it was just last year, an application to own all the private water rights along the Columbia River in the state of Washington so that they could bank it and trade it. And they thought, well, their pitch was, we'll be this single entity and we'll really make this efficient and streamlined for you. You know, if you want to bank and sell and trade water, we'll be the guys to do it. You know, it's a, it's a Wall Street investment firm. wants to own all the freaking water rights out here. You know, now that got <clears throat> pushed back on. There was a lot of public backlash to that. And that thing got rejected. Nevertheless, Crown Columbia has done a lot of purchasing of land on those water rights, as have other these large entities. And again, the role of Columbia Insight, although in this case, I think it's probably clear that we prefer that water decisions remain in local hands. Our objective is to just explain to people, you know, what's happening. This is this is why it's happening. These are the players involved. It's not necessarily to advocate one side or the other, although 
I will, I will admit in this case, at least personally, I would prefer that, you know, local, you know, water districts and, and people in, whether it's, you know, Bend or Spokane or wherever are kind of in charge of their own water distribution. I would agree. So we are just about out of time. Um, if our listeners want to find out more, where can they go to read some of these articles, Susan? Uh, it's Columbia. They can just look up Columbia Insight. And we are ColumbiaInsight.org. And that's I-N-S-I-G-H-T dot org. I'd throw an ad in there that we are fully 501c3 nonprofit and entirely um, dependent on on uh, you know donations and supporters and a few grants here and there. Susan Hess and Chuck Thompson, thank you. It was a pleasure yes, to be thank here. You. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to a KPOV Critical Conversation. To hear more engaging interviews on important topics, please visit kpov.org slash critical conversations.